0: Good morning, family of God. Good How is everyone doing this morning? Are you praising the Lord this morning? So grateful for this team. You know, often I'll walk out, spend some time in worship, and then I have it piped into my office back there. And so I'm back there, Yadah and Shabakin, and I'm doing all that kind of stuff with you guys. Well, I'm excited to be with you today as we continue in our series called The Way of the Worshipper. If you were with us last week, we kicked the series off by talking about awakening this slumbering spirit and today we're going to talk about the first word of seven words in hebrew the word Yada. so if uh, before we begin that uh, begin that time would you be kind enough to join me as i pray father thank you so much for your faithfulness to us this morning Lord, we come before you to acknowledge our desperate need for you and god i acknowledge that i cannot say anything today that would change people's lives Only you can do that, Lord. So I surrender myself to you now as an open and willing vessel for you to speak to and speak through. God, I pray now that you would open the hearts and minds of your people to your word. For your word is alive, sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing joint and marrow. Able to convict our hearts, Lord God, and move us to a place of repentance. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would turn from our ways to you. And that we would trust you to a greater extent that you would be glorified right here on earth, right here in this room, as it is in heaven. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So point of confession, my brothers messed me up here a little bit. They took my TV away, so I'm feeling that right now. I can't see that one, and I have to turn around to look at this one. So just bear with me. This is Grace Fellowship Church, right? So I'm free to mess it up because we're all a little bit messy, aren't we? Well, as I said, you know, um, we began last week this series and it's really not a series at all. It's a new season. We have declared a new season for Grace Fellowship Church, a season of greater freedom, greater joy, greater boldness, greater confidence in the Lord. And we're proclaiming now that Jesus is ready to release us to a whole different level of worship in him. Is anybody ready for that? Now some of us are ready. We're like woohoo, and others are like, "What does that mean?" I don't know that I want any more freedom. I don't know what that means. Stop scaring me. Now, when we first um, kind of planted this church ten years ago, um, I knew that I was coming home to some of my roots. You know, a lot of people say that Southern New York County is rather Germanic. I'm a German. Who else out there has German blood in their bones? Oh, my gosh. Isn't that amazing? Do that again. How many many people? That's unbelievable. Germans are very stubborn people. Do you know that? (laughs) My mom was a Pennsylvania Dutch woman, and she said, now you're getting my Dutch up. And she would be, oh, my gosh, she was strong. We have a great work ethic, don't we? Praise the Lord. But we are stubborn people. And so I remember when we first kind of started worshiping over there at Shrewsbury Elementary School and, you know, we were, we were praising God and everybody's sitting out there like this. And what I was reading on their faces was, I dare you to move me. I dare you to change my life. I am not getting emotional at all. And yet the scripture says, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. heart that's what you want your mind that's your thought life your soul that's your emotions and your strength that's your body Jesus wants all of you and he wants you to respond to him in a way that that creates actually communicates the freedom for the son sets you free you are free you see so gaining freedom in Christ will require taking greater risks that ie is called faith Whenever you take a risk to trust God more, that's called faith. And Jesus said, No, you just have to have faith the size of a mustard seed. So maybe for today it's it's going from this posture or this posture to like this posture. You know, you're not quite to you die yet, but you at least you got them out of your pockets and you're like, woohoo! This feels scary, Lord. But if you're doing it for Jesus because you love him, because you know he loves you, then angels in heaven are rejoicing because you're taking a risk for the glory of God. And so God says, look, you know, I want you to take risks even if that means you look foolish because I'd rather be a fool for Jesus than wise in the the eyes of the world. Anybody say amen to that? So, So like... Here's worship defined. A passionate and loving response to the reality of who God is and who we are in him. Say that out loud with me. A passionate and loving response to the reality of who God is and who we are in him. So what we said was worship and praise, responsiveness, joy, freedom, boldness and the Holy Ghost. These are not things that you put on. This is not something that you whip up and act like. God hates facades can anybody say amen to that God hates it when we fake it because he knows what's in our hearts like he knows what's going on in here he knows the reality of this what he wants us to do is to connect with him in such a way that the reality of who he is and who we are in him is revealed to us that's called revelation And when you get revelation from the Lord and you just see how good he is and you begin to understand that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God, you cannot help but respond with love and passion. See, we looked at Psalm 103 last time and if you weren't here, listen to the message because that's our starting message. It says, praise the Lord, my soul. That's the word Barak. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. If you go through Psalm 103, David is praising God for who he is. He's holy right there. But he says a lot more about who God is. He's forgiving, he's compassionate, he's kind. But he also says, this is who I am in you. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far you have separated me from my transgressions. By the blood of Jesus Christ, you now have an identity that is completely separate from what you do. You are no longer accepted based on what you do. God accepts you based on what Jesus Christ did for you at the cross. And when you let that get in, you can start to be who you truly are. Because if you're doing a dance of adaptivity, trying to figure out who God wants you to be, and trying to like put on a show and trying to put something together, God's saying, stop it. I love you, and I sent my son to die for you. And I accept you freely now by what he did on the cross through the blood of Jesus Christ. I accept you. And now, now you're free. You see, there's no longer any threat of condemnation. There's no need for you to do dances of adaptivity to be accepted. You are accepted in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of people say, wait a second, Jeff. What about repentance? See, I always hear this when I preach grace. What about repentance? Don't you have to repent? Well, yeah, yeah, you do. But here's the thing. Repentance comes after acceptance. You repent Because you are accepted. You don't repent to be accepted because the scripture is clear. It's not by works that no man should boast but by the grace of God. You receive God's grace through faith. And you believe what Jesus did for you was more than adequate. And now you dance and you sing and you praise God because you are an accepted one. You are loved by God. And his death was sufficient for all of your sins. I get a little passionate about this, folks, because this message is life-changing. It truly is good news. Can I tell you something? The gospel of Jesus Christ means the good news of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is good news. Now, if you're hanging out around Christians, quote-unquote, that preach a message that doesn't sound like good news, it's probably not about Jesus. The message is so radically good that when it comes to us, we go, oh my gosh, Lord, and we raise our hands in worship, we adah. So stand with me today as we go over these seven words in Hebrew that all stand for praise. Remember, I told you this means getting uncomfortable. So we're going to go through these seven words again. And you're going to, you know, do, and somebody told me, they texted me this past week, one of my brothers-in-law and said, your dance moves needs a little work. (laughs) I haven't had a chance to get on YouTube yet, but I'm going to be learning some dance steps for this series, I promise you. I am a little awkward now, but I'd rather be a dork for Jesus than not dance at all, okay? (laughs) Amen. All right, so you with me? Here's the first one, yada. That means to raise our hands and surrender and praise to God. After that comes halal. Yeah, I know, my dance move, but yeah, I'm still having fun, right? <laughs> halal, and halal means to be clamorously foolish and boast for God. You ready? Toda, to thank God for things not yet received. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for what you have in store for us this morning. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you long to set the captives free, and you're going to do that right in this service. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. That's Toba, Shabak. Shabak. That was a kind of a half anemic Shabak. Shabak. Oh, that was really good. One of my brothers, Ben Lawrence. What do you call this, Ben? Is he here? A barbaric yelp. A barbaric yelp. Right? Shabak. That's Shabak. Right now. After that is Barak. Barak is to kneel before God in reverence and submission in all of who he is. Zamar. And you can do this if you want. Andrew laughed at me last week. You can do like this. (laughs) It's just to play instruments beautifully for for God. And then tahila. Tahila. Yeah, it reminds you of the Ricola commercial. Okay, you can have a seat. These are all in a booklet that uh, many of you received last week. We made a bunch of these things, but Tria's telling me we still don't have enough. So I'm gonna ask you to do me a favor. One is, if you're getting booklets for someone who doesn't attend Grace, we're honored that you wanna share it with them, but this week I send out a PDF file to everybody in the body. If you're not on our email list, get on that, And uh, we'll maybe send out another PDF at some point here in time. Um, But we're going to be making up more this week, okay? So please be patient with us. Um, If you need to get an email from us to get the PDF this week so you can kind of catch up and be with us in it, um, go ahead and tell the information counter out there, and we'll make sure we get that to you. So we're on page 39. You also have a refrigerator magnet that kind of shows these seven words. And today we're actually going to be on pages 11 through 14 when we focus on the word yadah. So, remember, these seven words are not just physical positions. They are postures of the heart. God doesn't ever want us to take things, quote-unquote, like at face value. He wants us to go deep with him. And so when we, when we kind of look at the word yadah today, we're not looking at just raising our hands. We're looking at what raising our hands means. What does it mean to God, and what does it symbolize in our lives when we raise our hands together or when we raise our hands independently it means a number of things and I'm going to give them to you right up front today it means first and foremost we surrender secondly we celebrate and third we follow when I raise my hands yada before the Lord it means I surrender beef, to you God I celebrate who you are God and I'm choosing to follow you God now how many of you remember the first, how many of you have never raised your hand in church just go show of hands I tried, I tried, not one person raised their hand. Dang, thank you, There you go, gentlemen, thank you very much. So, so here's the thing, like many of us, like you know, we come from the hand raising expression, so when we come here, we kinda go, oh man, these are my peeps, you see people doing this, right? Other of us go, oh yeah, like I, I am not gonna raise my hands. And, and by the way, we don't say you have to raise your hands, it's not about raising your hands, it's about being free enough to raise your hands. You see, are you free enough to raise your hands? You may be a very contemplative worshiper, and you're going, yeah, with your hands in your pockets. Yeah, that's me, Jeff. Look, like I have a lot of people that take personality profiles, and they go, I'm just an introvert. I go, well, that may be true, but you're also scared to death. No, no, I'm introverted. That's why I don't talk to anybody. Well, uh, yeah, you are kind of introverted, but you're also really afraid. And here's the thing. Perfect love casts out all Fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been made perfect in love, the scripture says. Scripture also says, fear of man proves to be a snare, but those who trust in the Lord will be kept safe. So how many of you in here have ever raised your hands in worship to God? Go ahead and just raise them up. Do you remember the first time when you did that? I want you to think back on the first time you ever raised your hands in worship to God. Mine was at a a little school, not a big school, Uh, down in Baltimore called Roland Park Country School. I was at the first iteration of Grace Fellowship Church down there, at least in this area, in this region. And I remember coming to this church, and I was coming to Jesus, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what is happening to me? And and I would stand in this large group of people like this, and then one day, all of a sudden, I, I found my hands up in the air. And I'm like, oh, what am I? I am becoming a freaking nut. I'm becoming a Jesus freak. I can't believe I'm doing this. There you go. But when we do that kind of thing, it's indicative of our passion for God becoming greater than our self-consciousness. I want to say that again. Have you allowed your passion for God to become greater than your self-consciousness? See, that's what needs to happen. That's what God wants to have happen in your soul. Because remember, we talked about this last week. Self-consciousness has to do with self-absorption. And self-consciousness is part of the fall. Go back to the garden. Go back to Eden. There was man and woman naked and unashamed. What does that mean? It means they were physically naked. I believe that. But it means much more than that. It means there was no self-consciousness at all. They were completely free in their relationship with God and their relationship with each other. Can you imagine what that must have been like? There was no need for makeup. No, I mean, there wasn't. There was no need for any cover up. Why? Because they were who God made them to be, and they were free. That was called the first Adam. Do you know who the second Adam is? Jesus Christ. And so when he comes back and he dies on the cross for you and he says, it is finished, whoop, you go right back to that place of freedom that we had in the garden. Now, you're living in a broken world, but you are a free agent of God. You are an ambassador for the Most High King. You are one who is free now. And self-consciousness gets thrown out the window. Why? Because you're a child of God who's God-conscious. Your eyes are fixed on him, the author and perfecter of your faith. And so what happens when we throw our arms up in the air for the first time is our passion for God overwhelms our self-consciousness. And sometimes we go, what in the world am I doing? Boom! We pull them back down again. Some of you are at this stage, others at this stage, others really high up. And remember, I'm not talking about physical positions here. I'm talking about a posture of the heart. I want you to listen to some of the things that God says using this word yada. Yada, remember, means to stand and to throw up arms to heaven, to surrender and celebrate God. This word is used also when throwing a stone, Yada, You throw them up. You throw your arms upward with passion for God and love for God, and you say, I surrender to you, God. I celebrate who you are, God, and I choose to follow you, God. Listen to 1 Chronicles 23:30. This is to the Levites. Now, these were the groups of priests that actually were charged and trusted with much of what God wanted to do. And he says to stand every morning and to thank and praise, yeda the Lord, and likewise in the evening. The Levites stood every morning and they yidod. And they stood every evening and they yada. Here in 2 Chronicles, and this would be very significant given where we were last year. How many of you were with us last year in 2 Chronicles 20? Just show of hands. Talked about King Jehoshaphat, remember? And the the army that was marching against Israel, and he mobilizes the choir. And listen, in 2 Chronicles 20, 21, and when he consulted the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise Yadah, the beauty of his holiness. And they went out before the army and said, praise the Lord, Yadah, Yadah the Lord, for his love endures forever. Now, you remember what happens when they're doing this? They are marching out without any weaponry against vast armies that would typically just destroy them. And what does happen? They're praising God. They're dying. They're walking around. And I'm going to trip on my shoelace here in just a second. They're praising God. And God causes ambushes among the opposing armies. And not one of them, not one of the Israelites is touched. And the opposing armies defeat each other. God wins the battle. But what are the weapons? The weapons are prayer and worship that facilitate the Holy Spirit of God. Because I don't care who you are, you cannot stand opposed to the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit of God is far more powerful than all of us put together. God's Spirit is the most incredible agent of change here on planet Earth. And here, God's spirit is winning a battle because God inhabits the praises of his people. That's a different world. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. Psalm 91 says, I will praise Yadah you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all your marvelous works. Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices. And with my song, I will Yadah the Lord. Psalm 35, 18, I will give thanks in the great congregation. I will praise, I will yedah thee among the people. Listen to Psalm 42, 5, which probably most of you know. Why my soul so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet yada him, my Savior and my God. David is speaking to himself. He's saying, why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Even though I am disturbed right now, yet I will still, Yadah, I will still surrender to him. I will still celebrate his goodness, and I will still follow him, Yadah, who is my Savior and my God. Psalm 44, 8 says, In God we boast all the day long and praise Yadah, your name forever. Scriptures go on and on. And on, into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with Yada. Into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with yadah, with praise. Be thankful to him, and bless his holy name. You see, these are just a taste of the 114 scriptures in the Old Testament that contain the word yadah. This makes yadah one of the most popular words that we're going to look at during the seven way. We have one that actually exceeds that, believe it or not, it's Halal. Halal, right, is the root word of hallelujah, and that exceeds the number of times here. So I want to read you a story this morning, and this is a story of Leah, um, and I I want to read this story to you because because this is the the first time that the word yadah appears in the scriptures. It's Genesis 29. Now, this is not always true in the scriptures, but when God does something for the first time, he's setting a precedence. When God ever does anything for the first time, he's setting a precedence, and that precedence remains, because God remains the same, yesterday, today, and always, and he's setting a precedence, and then he'll build on the precedence over time. Revealing his goodness to his people. Now, we're going to read this story from Genesis 29, which is the first iteration, but I wanted to show you a quick little video about how to do a little studying on your own at home. This is called an interlinear Bible, and all you need to do is get on the web and type in whatever passage you want. In this case, it's Genesis 29, and I think I'm starting at verse 31. I am, and then I'm typing in the word interlinear. Now, I'll show you why this is important and how you can use this as a tool, not just to gain knowledge because knowledge puffs up, but to have greater intimacy with God. So I came then to this, which is at Bible Hub. That's one of the great places to go. And you see what happens here. You see the Hebrew, and then you see the English under the Hebrew. Remember, Hebrews read from right to left, not from left to right. So you're always going this way when you read these words. And this is Genesis 29, and it says, "'And so conceived Leah a a son named Reuben.'" You can click on that word, and you can see that Reuben occurs 72 times in the scripture, and then you can also click on the Strong's Hebrew word that will take you to the definition of the word Reuben. And Reuben means, behold, a son. That's the oldest son of Jacob, all right? So Leah, we're gonna talk about her this morning. She gave birth to this firstborn named Reuben. And you can also then see all of the iterations of that word, Reuben, in the Old Testament scripture. Look, uh, Rick Warren said this, never, never have we had such tools to study the scripture and such little use. Never have we had such amazing tools to study the word of God and yet so little use. So here, we're gonna look at the word yadah, which comes up in this passage, and there it is for the first time, yadah. And if you click on the 114 occurrences, you can see 114 occurrences, or you can go to the Strong's Hebrew and see that. So here's all the occurrences of the word yadah in the scripture. And I went through every single one of those in preparation for this message. Just to prayerfully consider, Lord, how would you guide us? And I landed on the first one. You go through 114 times, you at least expect God to say it's around 50 or 60. <laughs> so, but look here, he says, and, and here he, she has a child and she names that child Judah. So we're going to click on Judah there for a second and show you that Judah at its root is, well, here's all the occurrences of the word Judah, but look where its root is. It's, it says here, probably from Yadah. So the word Judah is from the word Yadah. The word Judah means praise. Now, who's the lion of Judah? Jesus Christ is the lion of praise. Judah. So, Yadah is the root word that we're looking at in this passage, Genesis 29, and I'm going to read from 14 through 35. If you want to open your Bibles, we'll follow along together and I'll explain more to you. Some of you are looking a little confused after looking at that, like, what was that all about? What's going on? When you get in and you parse out words, what you're looking for is for Jesus Christ to speak to you. So, you know, you have the spirit guiding you in the word of God. And if you do this little interlinear thing, you can get into passages, look it up, click on words and say, God, what are you trying to say to me in this passage? So when you get to the roots of words, sometimes God unfolds a whole nother thing for you that he helps you to see at the root of what he's trying to say. And these tools like an interlinear can be helpful. When I was in seminary, my interlinear was about that big. I used to carry that thing around Proudly dude, I got a big Bible, man. Like, I was like, you know, and, and, you know, you'd have to look at those lines and all those parts of those words, and I carried a Strong's concordance with it so that I could look at the number and then go to the Strong's book and then look at the Hebrew or the Greek, and now we have this all online. Incredible. So I'm going to read to you from Genesis 14 through 35, and this is the story of Leah and Jacob. Now, I'm gonna set it a little bit for you here, but you know, um, Jacob now, by the encouragement of his mother and father, he's going to see his uncle Laban to get a wife. And uh, you'll, you'll kind of hear this story from 14. So after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, this is with Laban. Laban said unto him, this is his uncle, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. And Jacob's been, you know, waiting for this moment because he's got his eyes on Rachel. She's a hot woman. Now, Laban has two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah, and the name of the younger one was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. The the word here means she was weary. She had sunken eyes. You can put it this way. Leah was acquainted with pain, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Right away, there's comparison and contrast between these two women. Now, by the way, Rachel's heart wasn't very good before God. But Leah's heart is a different case. So Jacob was in love with Rachel, and he said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban goes, dude, let's do it. So it's better that I give you her than to some other man, he said, so stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because she was so hot. That's my translation, because of his love for her. (laughs) So let's just stop here for a second. The scripture says internal beauty is what matters to God, and internal beauty is what should matter to godly people. So there's a contrast study here that we're not going to do today, but I want to say it out loud. Rachel looks good on the outside, but she's wicked on the inside. Stuff that looks good on the outside ain't always good on the inside. Anybody say amen to that? Matter of fact, some people that are so obsessed with how they look on the outside, they're so focused and self-absorbed that they have no time for God. So... Jacob served seven years to get this hot woman named Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to make love to her. Can you imagine seven years, dude? I'm sure the dude is, like, really looking forward to this time. (laughs) So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, when evening came, now look, here here was the tradition. The bride is snuck into the groom's tent Under veil and darkness. So under veil and darkness, Laban kind of has a plan. And it says here, so Laban brought together all the people and he brought Leah to him. So what happened? Laban gave his servant Zippah to his daughter as her attendant, it says. When morning came, there was Leah! So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? The dude was surprised. He woke up next to the wrong woman. The one with the weary eyes. And he's going, dude, you you ripped me off. I said, seven years. He said, I served for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Now, some people tie this to his deception, but we won't go there. Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. (laughs) Jacob's like, dude, you could have told me that. Seven years. So finish this daughter's bridal week, which was a customary thing. Again, they would be making love for a week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. So Laban comes to him and says, yeah, dude, we're just going to multiply it 14 years and you get them both. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah. Then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bila to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also. And listen, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. I want you to think about what Leah's feeling right now. She's the one with the weary eyes, with the sunken eyes. She's grown up her entire life comparing herself probably to her sister who's hot. She's not seen that way. She finally thinks, I have a man who's going to love me. Yet she finds out He doesn't. There's some pain. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained barren. So Rachel couldn't bear children, but Leah could. Leah became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. Behold a son. That's what she named him, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery I I have been in pain because I am loved. Surely, she says, my husband will love me now. Surely, because I've given him his son, Reuben, behold his son, Jacob, now you'll love me, won't you? But he didn't. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard me that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon, which means here, the Lord heard me names in the old testament meant something what does your name mean the vast majority but this is a great conversation starter i do this in a walmart all the time (laughs) i meet somebody they say hey what's your name my name's james my name's jeff what's your name mean the vast majority of people i'd say 95 percent, they go i have no clue i just look it up right there most people's names have biblical roots do you know that And and I can can look, your name means behold God. Isn't that awesome? See, my name means heavenly peace. That's what Jeff means. Now, Tracy would disagree with that, what, 50% of the time? (laughs) But I'm working on it. I am. I'm trusting Jesus for that. But she says to him, behold a son. That's Reuben that she conceived again. And she said, this is Simeon because God heard me. Surely my husband will love me now. And he didn't. After she conceived and she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband, this is son three, will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons, so I will name him Levi, which means to be attached. Surely my husband will now love me and be attached to me. And she conceived again. This is the fourth son. Every son she's hoping that her husband will love her. Every son, she's hoping that this pain that's been in her heart most of her life, because she is the weary one, she is the one who is not hot, she is the one who's suffered all this time. And even now, her husband doesn't love her. And now she conceives a fourth son. Now, this fourth son, there's a big pivot shift. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to this son, she said, This time, I will praise the Lord. She says, the heck with my husband. He doesn't love me. I'm going to praise the Lord. And that is the word yadah. That is the first occurrence of the word yadah in the scripture. And I believe that Leah is saying this. I am tired and worn out from trying to gain his love. When I'm already loved by the one who counts the most. So God I surrender to you. God, I celebrate who you are. and God, I choose to follow you. Some of you may be identifying with Leah's pain. Maybe you're here today and you've never felt loved. Can I tell you there's someone who does love you more than you could ever understand? But maybe you're in a relationship right now where you don't feel loved. God's there for you. And the scripture is amazing in how it communicates the realities of the human condition to us. Because I think to some extent, all of us are Leah. That doesn't mean we're we're married to people who don't love us. What it means is that we're married to people who cannot fully satisfy us. There's nothing wrong with dreaming about a spouse, folks. There's nothing wrong with wanting your spouse to love you. What's broken and what's deception is thinking that somehow that human love will fully satisfy the desires of your heart. It will not. It never was intended to. Only God's love can fully satisfy the deep desire of your heart. So Leah throws up her arms, and she says, I surrender to you, Yudah, I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Now, Judah comes from the word Yada, the same root word which means to praise. So in her surrender, she is now giving worship to God and giving birth to the lineage of Jesus Christ. God is setting a precedence. And he's saying, I want you to surrender to me. I want you to celebrate who I am. And I want you to throw up your arms and follow after me. For I am the one you are seeking. You see, Leah's pain is all of our pain. So I want to talk to you a little bit about what surrender means. When you throw up your arms, go ahead and put them up in the air right now. Just say this, I surrender. Okay, you can put them down. When you surrender, surrender is a military term. And I've had some people speak into this, my brother Mike and some other folks. And, you know, I think we ought to understand that when we first and foremost surrender, what we're saying is, we are acknowledging a force and a power that is greater than ourselves. And we're saying this, I'm finished fighting you. I'm finished fighting you. If you think about a war and somebody says surrender, look, I'm 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 gonna stop fighting you. Now, how many of you are aware that you fight God? Throw up your hands. Look, if you're not aware of that, you gotta go back to the scriptures and go back to the spirit of God. I'm gonna say it again. How many of you are aware that you fight God? It's in your DNA. It's called sin. And when you surrender to God, you acknowledge, God, I am no match for you. I give up. And Leah, in her pain, was giving up. She was surrendering. Look, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb. Because the Lord looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. For this time my husband will be attached to me. This time, this time he'll love me. And she's continuing to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And guess what? That's called insanity. And she finally comes to the end of herself after four babies. By the way, she has two more later on. But she has four babies And she finally comes to the end of herself and she says, I give up. She doesn't even mention her husband. Why? Because she took her eyes off of Jacob and put them on God. Now, by the way, her chances of loving Jacob now have exponentially increased. Because the more you love God, the more you can love others. So here she is in this codependent relationship where she's looking for life in all the wrong places. She's looking for Jacob to fill this deep need in her heart. Jacob's more in love with his other hot babe, her sister, who she's grown up with the whole time. And she finally gives up and surrenders to God. She says, I praise you, Yadah. I surrender to you, God. Now she's in a position where God's love can come to her and move through her to love Jacob in a way that she's never loved him before. You see, the human condition and its sinfulness is one that does not easily surrender to God. All of us want control. And God is sovereign and in control of all things. And he says, look, I oppose the proud, but I give grace to the humble, opposition to God. How many of you would like to oppose the actual force, the person who created the entire universe? Do you think that's smart? Oh, my gosh. And yet we as ants still stand up and shake our fists at God and say, I got it from here. And he goes, No, you don't. You desperately need me. You were created to meet me. You were created in a dependent relationship with me. And I am the one who will fulfill the deepest desires of your heart. Humility is just another word for surrender, it means that we know and acknowledge that we are no match for God. When we surrender our lives to God and Jesus Christ, we do this once and for all. So if you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ, you are just one step away of having an eternity with God. All you need to do is acknowledge your sinfulness invite him into your heart and say, please come into my heart and make it your home. And he says, I will by no means cast out anyone who comes to me. He's gonna rush to you because he loves you and he will save you for an eternity. So we give our lives to Jesus Christ once and for all. We surrender our lives to him once and and for all say that with me once and for all we surrender our will to him every day you have a will and if you're surrendered in christ jesus and if he lives inside of you his holy spirit is inside of you warring with your flesh and you can surrender your will to him or you can try it your way one more day some of us are smiling (laughs) and going i don't really want to go around that again you see, God calls for us to surrender our well- will to him every day. Whether we're going to white knuckle it, weigh our way through it, and try and do it on our own strength, or whether we're going to surrender ourselves to his spirit. Now look, when we surrender, here's another thing that happens. When we surrender, we choose to place responsibility for our well-being on the one we surrender to. Think about this. In wartime, there's actual like covenants among countries in wartime that when I surrender myself to the enemy, now I say this, my well-being is your responsibility. You see, because if, if you mess with my well-being, you're going to have to mess with my country. You're going to mess with my president. You're going, to, you're going to mess with everybody that I represent. So here's the thing, I surrender myself that to you, which means I no longer fight you, but my well-being is now your responsibility. And when you surrender to God, this is some of the best news you could ever imagine, because he is good. And he is faithful, and his love endures forever, and God wants the best for you. Now, I didn't say that your surrender wasn't going to hurt. Heck, it's going to hurt a lot. But what I'm saying is that when you surrender to God, you're saying to him, my well-being is now your responsibility, God. It's no longer mine. I don't have to fight for my well-being anymore. God, you fight for my well-being. You are the one who is for me, with me, and in me in all things, and you will never leave me nor forsake me. You see, this is good news. It makes perfect sense intellectually for us to surrender ourselves to God because he is good and he is faithful and his love endures forever, but we still fight. Why do we fight? Here's two reasons. The first one is this. We don't really trust that God is good. We buy into deceptions about him. We really don't believe that he's good. And here's the second reason. We don't want to experience the pain that comes from surrender. Now, look, Leah's pain was pretty deep. You've got to understand that. But but here's the truth. Pain is often a path to praise. So many of us, we want to get to praise so quickly. We want to get to celebration so quickly. And it says, God says, nope, nope, nope. You've been stuffing pain down for years. And for you to get to a place of real celebration, you need to let me walk you through that pain. But how many of you like pain? Can I tell you the number one cause of our misery in this culture is the avoidance of our pain. We try and avoid pain in every curve. Pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. And your misery is in large part determined by how you handle your pain. So can I tell you this week, as I was worshiping and praising God and getting closer to Him through His Word, there were times where I broke down in sobs. In sobs. Sometimes feeling uncontrollable. Now, by the way, once I get there and I feel like God is holding me, then I'm like, praise the Lord. I love sobbing with Jesus, but I don't really want to do that. Anybody with me? Like, it's just one of those things that I don't sign up for. Look, here, if you push down your emotions, you cannot push down one of them without pushing down all of them. Some of you are angry, and you're pushing down your anger, and people around you know you're angry, but you have this way of kind of being in denial about it yourself. When you push down your anger, you push down your joy. When you push down your sadness, you push down your excitement and your enthusiasm. You push them all down together, and when God starts pulling the cork off of your emotional life, guess what happens? They all come up at the same time. And this can be scary to some folks. Do you know that anger is passion? Anger is a passion. Now, the question is, is your anger righteous or is it unrighteous? Is it righteous anger that came from a wound? Say, for instance, you've been sexually abused. Since that's kind of a a cultural conversation we're having right now. Say, for instance, you've been sexually abused and you've never dealt with the wound. You know what? You're hurt. You're hurt deep inside. But on top of that hurt is a lot of righteous anger. Why? Because that was never supposed to happen to you. God hates that that happened to you. Can I tell you God hates stuff? God hates sin. And you have to feel that passion, that anger under God's righteous control to become a passionate person. Can I tell you some of the most passionate people are people who've been deeply wounded? Remember that organization called MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, M-A-D-D? Do you know who started it? A mom who lost her son to a drunk driver. You know what was underneath all that? Deep passion that came from anger and sadness. That's called your holy discontent. You see, you have to find that somewhere inside of you. And Jesus wants to pull the lid off of that thing. He wants you to actually feel again. So sometimes you might not go right to this. You might fall on your face and sob for a while because you have to go through your pain to find your passion so that you can praise. So maybe you're like Leah and you long to be loved by a spouse. And you have these dreams in your life but you're unwilling to surrender them to God because you don't trust him or because you're afraid of feeling. I want to read you a little poem. It's called Broken Dreams. As children bring their broken toys with tears for us to mend, I brought my broken dreams to God because he was my friend. But then instead of leaving him in peace to work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. At last I snatched them back and I cried, how could you be so slow? My child, he said, What could I do? You never did let go. I don't know about you folks, but there's things that we need to surrender in our lives. And I made a little list of things that I need to surrender before God. Today, there's a little three by five card. Everybody should have one of these. I want you to pull it out. And I want you to just, with our remaining time there, think about writing a few things down. If you don't have one of these or you need a pencil, you can raise your hand and tree or one of the ushers will get you something. There's one up here in the front, left side. There's things that we need to surrender before God, and here's some of mine: my physical health and the physical health of my family members. How about my children, my adult children and the choices they make? Anybody have adult children? Do you agree with all the choices they make? Oh my gosh, I've got to surrender that before God. I have to surrender unrealistic expectations that I have of myself. I realize that this week, like God is so much easier on me than I am on myself. I have to surrender before him the unrealistic expectations I have in my house. I have to surrender control. Anybody say amen to that? That is the illusion we talked about last week. We have this illusion that we're in control. I have to surrender what others think of me. Sometimes I spend too much time focused on what other people think about what I'm doing rather than just keeping my eyes on Jesus Christ. What is it for you? I want to encourage you to write some of those things down today and After our communion time, I'm gonna bypass a little video I had for us here, but after our communion time, I'd like you to consider coming up and dropping those in one of the baskets at the cross there, okay? I checked my time. That was a little meditative time. I'm sorry you don't get your meditative moment today. You can take that at home, though, but based on the time and communion we have to have, I wanna keep moving forward. So one, we have to surrender to God, and two, then we celebrate God. So raise your hands again and say, Yadah. I just want a few minutes. If you if you have something to praise God for, and you want to shabak it out, that's called shouting before the Lord. If you have something, just raise your hands up like this, and I'm going to point to you, and then you tell me. I love God because this is what I want to praise God for. Who wants to do that today? Celebrate God's goodness, somebody. Yeah, come on, Joe. What is it? I love God because He loved me first. Amen. I love God because He loved me first. Right back there in the back, nice and loud. Amen. He's setting you free from addiction. Me too, sister. Right there, brother, right there. I love God because gave me incredible wife. Praise the Lord. He gave you an incredible wife. And she's blushing a little bit right now, John. That's beautiful. God bless you. Somebody else. Somebody else. Raise hands up. Gotta be somebody out there who wants to thank God for something. Oh, over here, over here, brother. What is it? I love God for my family. I love God for my family. Praise the Lord. Give that a round of applause. Come on. Oh, look, here's the deal. How many of you are Raisins fans? I know the NFL is right now. It's Ravens. I'm sorry. I used the word Raisins. (laughs) Ravens. Ravens fans. How many of you are Ravens? How many of you have ever been to a a football game? Put your hand up. You ever been to a football game? How many of you, when you were at the football game or even watched one on your TV, sit in your chair completely lifeless? Do you think when I watched my Eagles win the Super Bowl last year that I was sitting completely lifeless? Oh, my gosh. I think Andrew was at the house and some other folks, and we were, like, freaking out. I was like, "Woohoo!" You ever do that? You do that for football? How much more so should you do that for Jesus Christ? So would you just give me a big, like, woo for Jesus? Come on that's what this is about you see so so yeah exactly when you celebrate god you're calling out his goodness and you're saying god i love you and the crazy thing is, many christians will do that at a football game and they get more excited about their team than they get about a jesus christ or are missing something martin lloyd Jones said this he said a dislike of spiritual enthusiasm can be one of the greatest hindrances to revival say that again. A dislike of spiritual enthusiasm can be one of the greatest hindrances to revival. Somehow we've got this inclination to believe that loving Jesus and being part of the church should be this solemn kind of thing all the time. And these kinds of woo-hoo moments are only reserved for football games. That is a load of bunk. You see, we're supposed to become more enthusiastic about the gospel and who God is and who we are in him than any football game ever. We must celebrate God. She conceived again and she gave birth to a son. This time, I will praise the Lord. She's celebrating God's goodness. And listen to Psalm 9.1. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. David is saying, you are amazing. And he throws his hands up in celebration of who God is. You see, God calls us to do this regularly, to not only surrender to him, but celebrate him. And last, God calls us to follow after him. We're gonna prepare to share communion together here today. And you know, I think Leah throwing up her hands and naming her child Judah, that's not a coincidence, It's not a coincidence that that's the line of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is the one who showed us what true surrender is. He laid down his life for us. Why? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. That's celebration. You see, Jesus is the one whom we celebrate today, and we do this today through communion. Not only that, but he blazed a trail for us to follow. Now Peter, by the way, was one of the first ones who followed after Jesus. This way, he said, "Very truly, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and where where you wanted to go." He's talking to Peter, and then he says, "But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands." And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Can I tell you the one who loves you the most is the one who stretched his arms high for you. And he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross so that you now can enter back into intimacy with God. Even though you were dead in your sins, Jesus Christ made you alive with God through his blood spilled on the cross for you. So if you want to know what surrender is like, if you want to know what celebration is like, if you want to know what obedience is like, look. At Jesus Christ. He is the author of our faith. And your relationships with another have the same mindset as Jesus Christ who being in very nature God did not consider equality God was something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. So that one day Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So today we celebrate Jesus. And I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward and I'm gonna pray for us as we prepare the elements. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us today. We come before you and acknowledge, Lord Jesus, that as we seek to understand what it means to lift our hands high to you, that you've revealed to us it means to surrender to you to celebrate who you are and to reach out our hands and say, God, have your way with us to follow you, Lord Jesus. So we ask now as these elements are a symbol, a symbol of your body and blood, we ask that you would prepare our hearts, Lord God, to worship you in spirit and in truth through this act of communion. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ.